the right move for the team isn't always the right move for the fans. And you got to do what's best for the team. kind of fired up for this episode we get to talk about some stuff that we don't usually talk about yeah yeah it should be good and um it'd be a good precursor in the olympics if canada could just fucking get it done here yeah oh for sure they play tomorrow right uh yeah i'm pretty sure it's tomorrow i don't think it's today yeah i think it's tomorrow and then if they win they go on to the championship or the finals? Yeah, they get a bye straight through if they win, I think. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Either, or maybe it's straight through to the semis, but even still. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like it because a lot of people are saying it's our tournament to lose. And, like, I hate those situations. Yeah. Well, they beat China by 30 points yesterday, so. Yeah, I guess um, I guess turkeys are only real fear. Oh, okay. Well, we've got Slovakia. Or yeah, the the Czechs are who we play tomorrow. So. Yeah, and I think that uh, that should be all right. I think that's going to be a good game, supposedly. But I heard that. Uh, Turkey's really big, and that's the one thing we don't have. Where the where the rafters? Yeah. But Nickner should be prepared for that. That's for sure. Sounds like he is. So. Honestly, like that's that's super cool that he decided to coach us. He's probably like, well, my chances of coaching the American team are pretty low. Yeah. Well, apparently. When he signed off on that, they were pretty low. But, like, right now, I would argue he's one of the better coaches. Yeah, I would argue that, too, actually. Although, this season doesn't really show it. But, hopefully next season. There's there's only so much he can do. I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, Masai left his hands tied for so long. Like, because the size issue was quite clear all year and yeah we just we just kind of powered through it or tried that's i'm still curious if Masai's going to resign i don't know if he is uh at this point i don't think he is yeah i don't think so i like it just it doesn't seem like it at this point in the year where like decisions are going to have to be made the draft coming up and stuff like well, if he's not on board, we gotta let somebody else make the draft decisions because it's gonna be their team. They gotta deal with it long term. Well, it'll be Bobby Webster, and he's already yeah. on board. So, but I think that, like, I think that Masai is still pretty involved. So, like, if Masai is not gonna be there at all, they might as well just tell Bobby Webster right now that the ball's in his court and this is his draft. Yeah. That's that's the only thing I'm really worried about. Yeah, I don't know. See, I'm I'm not even too worried about that because I feel like Bobby Webster and Masai have worked together for so long, and they've worked so closely together that 
regardless, they're both probably going to make the same decision anyways. At least for this draft. Yeah, that that sounds pretty solid, actually. And, I, and I've heard that like getting into the top four was huge for the Raptors with this draft. Like yeah. that That's where the talent really starts to drop off. And that there's a, a big man in the top four that it uh, doesn't sound like other teams will be targeting that have high picks. So we might actually be set to get exactly what we want. Yeah. Yeah, Which I've seen a, a few different things about that. Like, I, I don't know, I was reading a little, but I haven't dove into, like, the draft picks or anything yet. But apparently there's a, there's a chance that we could get Suggs, which would be sick, but we don't really need a point guard right now. No. But th- if like, they were to walk away from Lowry, then maybe picking up Suggs looks a little better. I'm if they can get not, him. I'm not sure they're walking away from Lowry at this point. Still kind of, I don't know. I don't know either. I just don't know. It's the money. Like, if they're willing to pay... Hell yeah, sign him. Whatever. The cap doesn't actually matter. You can just pay the luxury I just wish they to. would be like, listen, man, we're not asking you to be Wayne Simmons. We're, we're gonna, we'll pay you what you're worth, but we're doing one-year deals from here on out. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's disrespectful. I think both of us know that it's closer to the end than the beginning for Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Oh, definitely. He's 35 and I, and this I year. Don't th- I don't think he wants to, necessarily wants to put the Raptors in purgatory. So, like, I don't know why they just can't come to a conclusion that, like, one-year deals from here on out. And if you decide you want to go, then, and then speak up and let us know. Otherwise, we'll keep you around. Yeah, I guess the only other thing I could think is that if he was willing to take a decent two-year deal, then we could play him this season and then move him in the offseason. That's true. That's that's true, and that that all depends on where the team's at too. Like they're, I'm not convinced that they're not going to come back and be a lot better team next year. Like I don't think they get enough credit for what COVID did to them and where they were right before all that shit. And and then uh, not only that, but like playing in Florida, like all those things are difficult. Yeah, like, they were playing in a freaking hotel as their practice court, like. Yeah, like, I just, um, none of that's given enough uh, respect, I don't think. No, I would agree with that. Like, I think it's it's all kind of been brushed over. Um, They really got to address their center depth, though. Like, they need a good center. Yeah, honestly, I think it changes the game for them. Like, when they had two good centers, that's what actually put them over the edge to get the NBA championship. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I like how they did it, kind of, where they went and they got, like, a playmaker in Gasol, but then they got, like, a do-it-all physical guy in Serge Ibaka. And instead of, like, going out and getting an all-star center, they got two guys that were pretty good that like together, if they share the minutes properly are an all-star center. Yeah. Cause they could do everything. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to be able to, if 
if they're going to be able to find that again. Like a combination like those two is, it's it's hard to come by in the league. Well, and like you might be able to get Serge back, like because he's not, he didn't have the greatest time with the Clippers. Like he's not necessarily performing at the level he was with the Raptors. Uh, but Marcus All is not going to be that player, and I can't even really name a a, a center with those kind of attributes like the guy's kind of like a playmaking center yeah that's like like i don't really know anybody else who does that and not at that level at least no because they they don't exist there's just not i i can't think of any centers in the game right now that read the play the same way he did no and and like yeah like that's what i'm saying like he make he makes so many players better just by like, and his his IQ about it was so simple. It's like I'm gonna put my big ass body here, and that's gonna create some space for buds. And we're gonna come. I'm gonna get an assist here, and we're gonna get the points. Like it just made it look so simple. It actually kind of surprised me that there weren't more centers that play that way. But I I don't necessarily think uh, center in the NBA and basketball IQ are tied together very often. No, you're looking at a center, you're looking at size, you're looking at someone that can get the rebounds and get dunks. You're not really looking as much at a guy that can make the play from the that from in the paint to get it out to the point. <clears throat> yeah, ex- exactly. Um, well, that was kind of a tangent I didn't expect to go on, but like um there is a lot of Raptor stuff that we're going to have uh, throughout the summer, hopefully. Oh, yeah. I think so. I think it's going to start soon. Like, and, uh, as honestly, soon as that I draft is finished. Hate Nick Nurse. Yeah, I don't hate Nick Nurse being involved in all this different stuff either because the Raptors have been pretty good at little reclamation projects and turning this guy into a usable player and that guy into a usable player. So, um, Canada gets in the Olympics. Who knows who Nick Nurse sees? Who, who you know might be a usable player for the Raptors? And I think he's got the ability to see those type of players, and not everybody does. Yeah, I agree. He is very much like uh, able to see talent from. I don't know what am I trying to say, like. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to word what I'm trying to say, but I know well, what you like mean. He's a, like I know, yeah, you, like he's able to see someone who might be underutilized or like or might have more to give if he was in a specific situation. Yeah, and like he can he, find the got, roles to to put guys in, the situations to put role players in. Now, I think next season is going to be huge for whether we can continue saying all this stuff about Nick Nurse or not. Oh yeah. Definitely, he's gonna have to. Like, if he comes back next year and the Raptors have a great year, I think there's no debating that like Nick Nurse is one of the best young coaches in the NBA. But he really only had like two and a half good seasons, so like it's it's you can't put him in like a, a Mike Babcock, Barry Trotz conversation yet as far as long term, but. When you look at it, you think that's where a guy like that could go. You just got to hope that the consistency is there. 
and that also falls on the players that he has to uh, work with. Like guys like Mike Babcock look a lot better when they spent as many years behind the Detroit Red Wings bench as they did. Yeah. I'm excited about the Raptors team for next year, though. I think that they've got enough, a lot of good pieces on that team. Yeah, it's my it's my goal for next year to go to a Raptors game. Like I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that that's something we should be able to do by next year. And oh yeah, I think I've so. Kicking, I've been kicking around the idea for a while, and I I think it's time. I got to go and see what's up. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never been to a Raps game, but it would be fun. Because I, yeah. I I always liked going to basketball games in person. Like even even in high school, I didn't give a shit about the, my high school basketball yeah. team. But going and watching the games in person was just a good time because you're right next to the court. You're able to yell at the players, and there's a lot more inter- fan interaction compared to like a hockey game. Well, and, and what I've heard over and over from multiple people is the athleticism of some of those guys at that size in person is just mind-blowing. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. Like, my, my buddy went and saw Giannis three years ago, and he still talks about it. Just like how when you're watching the game and you're watching, like, a bunch of people try to cover that guy, it's like he's from a different planet. Because he's got similar to Ovechkin. Like, you know what he's going to do. It's not like he's going to step out and shoot a three. Everyone knows that he's going to the paint, and nobody can do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, so let's everybody get vaccinated. Let's get back to going to sports, because I'm excited. Yeah, I'm hoping the Jays can come back to Toronto by the end of the season at some point. I would love to go see a Jays game near the end of the season. Oh, they're buzzing right now, man. Like, that Marcus Simeon deal, what does that look like a steal? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and we said, oh, well, you're only going to have him for this year, and you might not be a playoff team. Like, you not think that some of the things that guy's doing game in and game out or rubbing off on all those young guys that the, the Blue Jays got? Yeah. Like obviously you can find a you can find a bad look on anything you want but that that's it is something to be happy about. Like the fact that it's basically impossible to put Springer where Springer expected to go because Simeon's playing so well is like the perfect problem you could have. Oh, for sure. I was going to uh, say something now it's totally out of my head. Shit, lost the We've thought. been all over the place a bit. Where do we where do we want to go? I don't know, we got a few topics written down, but um Do we wanna do a Blackhawks update and get that out of the way? Yeah, let's do that and get that out of the way. Alright. It's still kind of it's still kind of a touchy subject. Yeah. Yeah, and realistically, like I feel like this might be our last update for a while, just because at this point it's sort of going into investigation and God knows how long they're going to be doing the investigation. So, um, but at least we can, we can talk about it and tell people what's going on a little bit because 
even now, as much as it's getting a little more push from mainstream media, it's still not being talked about a whole lot. Um, so, yeah, we can chat about a little bit, uh, chat a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, it's definitely not getting the the respect and, and shit I I expected it to get. To be honest, I, I still don't – the amount of people that have come out who were pretty involved that are saying that they didn't know anything of it, I'm really like, how can nobody know anything about it? I just – I don't really – I don't want to say I don't buy it because I honestly like some of those guys are pretty influential in the NHL and like I don't want to see them get railroaded unnecessarily. But I also want to see some people who are responsible actually take the heat yeah. uh, in this situation. And like that, that's where I'm starting to get concerned. We're not going to see that at this point. Yeah, I agree. So, I, I mean, the one thing, like, so Gary Bettman has finally spoken up about it just because in his um, Stanley Cup final or pre-final interview, some reporters asked him questions about it, obviously. And all of his answers were basically, okay, well, we're going to wait until the investigation is done and see what it brings to light. Which realistically, yeah, that's not a bad way to look at it. Let the investigation do what the investigation is supposed to do. Um, but I feel like that's just not a good enough answer when based just on what we know from reporters digging things up, it's obvious that there's an issue with how this was handled. Yeah, that that that's where I kind of thought. I really didn't like the interview from Gary Batman's point of view. Like, uh, a lot of times now, these days, they'll be like, we're doing an investigation, but if such and such and such and such did happen we immediately want to make it clear that we don't really agree with that and and that we will be doing our best to uh, look out for people and, and bring these people uh, to justice if that's what needs to happen. And, and I didn't really get that vibe from what Batman had to say. Like, it was more like he was trying to do his best to just be like, well, you know, we're going to let this play out and, and there was still some language he could have used that would have stopped it from happening in the future that I thought he avoided a little bit. I don't know about you. Oh, definitely. He was very vague, and it sent, it felt inten- intentionally vague in all of his responses. And he just kept repeating the, oh, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. And it just doesn't give me a lot of confidence in him handling this situation properly should the results of the investigation be everyone knew about it and brushed it under the rug, which that really is what it seems like it's going to be. Obviously we don't know that for sure, but I don't know the more, the more stuff that's coming out about it, the more it just seems like everyone knew and everyone was part of the decision to sweep it aside. Yeah, it, that's exactly what I what I would say from from what I've been reading too is that that's where I'm at with it. Um, 
some of these people that are involved, like we, we named names a little bit last week who were involved in Chicago Blackhawks organization, are like super influential guys now. So you can't tell me that these guys weren't cutting their teeth and weren't very involved in what was going on with the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's what I think we need I to I think hear. There, this is be way more out in the open if the Montreal Canadiens weren't one of the teams in the final. Huge black guy for the NHL. If Mark Bergman definitely knew a lot about this and nothing ever came out about it. Well, and that's even still. And like, his I, team's currently. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. What I will say with Bergevin, too, is last week I kind of defended him in the sense that he's the only one that came out and said I didn't know, but then I actually went back and watched the interview, or, or I read about the interview, I guess. I didn't actually watch the video. I read the interview, and he says um, something along the lines of I didn't know, and you can put that on the record. It was very much a fuck you, I didn't know. And you're not going to try and pin this on me. It wasn't, uh, this is a terrible situation and I'm sorry I didn't know. I wish I had known. I could have done something about it. It wasn't, there was no sympathy, no empathy, nothing. It was just, it, it felt very, you're not going to blame this on me. Fuck off. In As, and like, to me, that's just not the vibe you want to see them taking about it. No. Like that's just going to lead this to happen again and again and again. And we've seen how fine of a line it is to making it in the NHL and not. Uh, like, especially if you're a guy who, who plans on being an offensive player. Like, uh, we've seen it happen in junior hockey before. Like, guys are willing to do a lot of things in order to get the minutes they think they need in order to prove that they're an NHL player. And, and it's why the, uh, why the NHL themselves need to protect these people because this is your, your dream of your whole life. And we've seen a lot of athletes be taken advantage of in that pursuit. And for every person that that may or may not work out for, there's a million people who got taken advantage of that still didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just, I guess so. A few, a few other updates on this. So I, I was reading a bunch of articles. Rick Westhead has like five or six articles on TSN now, from like that he's written about different sides of this whole thing. So he's written about like the the lawyers talking about it. He's written about um, the coach that came forward about it, who is uh, John Torchetti. Um, he was the skills coach at the time. John Torchetti is the one that actually went to um, management and said, hey, these players have come and told us this. We need to do something about it. And he's the one that actually had a meeting. And he, he, came, he told Rick Westhead that he had a meeting with, quote, all the brass. So I would assume that that means all of these managers. He is, and he's come out and said, I had a meeting with all of these managers. So you know the managers know about it. And it's really frustrating. 
Like, every, the more I'm reading about it, the more frustrated I've gotten with this whole situation. Yeah, and honestly, I'm kind of getting frustrated with uh, the narrative a lot of people that I've been seeing online do, where it's like, these are elite athletes, and why would they ever let anyone, you know, do something like that to them? And obviously, there's there's a lot of other factors outside of your, your physical stature that will allow you to be taken advantage of. So... Uh, like it's sooner rather than later we need to deal with this in a way that we change the narrative across the whole landscape as far as what people have to say when these things come forward yeah that's i think the nhl has an opportunity right now to really make a stance and make a difference and it doesn't seem like gary bettman's gonna do that i don't know I don't know how long this investigation is going to take. It's obviously there's all this litigation and shit. And it sounds like the Blackhawks are, are like opening up and willing to talk about it. But then I was also reading that they denied one of the requests for documentation. So are they actually opening up and letting this investigation happen? So I, and I don't really know how public the investigation is going to be and how much we're actually going to be able to find out about it. But I think it needs to be made public because that's how you're going to make a difference in the culture of the league, but not just hockey or sports. It has an impact on a wide range of social issues. It's not just about hockey anymore. When you get into these sort of issues, it becomes about something that's so much more than just the sport and they well, need to handle it properly. You can be one of those people that say people in sports should stick to sports, but in reality, sports has one of the biggest audiences of anything that I, that I'm involved in consistently. And it just seems like a waste to me if you have such power over so many people not to try to improve the world we live in. So it really does kind of make me sick when you hear the like stick to sports stuff because like sports has a really big ability to change people's perspective. It does. It definitely does. And sports is weird. Like, I, you, you can meet so many different walks of life that are hardcore fan of this or hardcore fan of that. And there's not very many other things in the world that bring so many different people together than sports. Like, I, I just think there's a huge opportunity, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. Um I don't know that there's too much more to be said on the subject there. I do have some other like stuff I've written down from people that have been interviewed. Like Nick Letty was a part of that team and he was interviewed. He didn't deny knowing about it, but he basically just said like the organization's a good organization and they'll handle it properly sort of thing, which I don't know that you can read too much into. That's just a player basically covering his ass when he's asked a hard question in a post-game interview. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think we really... 
it's hard to say more about this issue until people are going are willing to talk about it until Shovel Dayoff comes out and has a statement until um, Joel Quenville comes out and talks about it, and then even more so until Stan Bowman and um, John McDonough, who were those are the two obviously at the heart of this conflict, come out and talk about it. And I don't know that we're gonna see that. I don't know that we'll ever hear from those two about this subject. It might just be one of those things that it ends in the courtroom and what happens happens and that's it yeah i hope that the public doesn't allow that to be a thing but that's exactly how i could see it ending up no although that's the one thing so far this story has gained so much more traction because the public has been talking about it because twitter has blown up because podcasts have been talking about it. i've listened to several different podcasts where they've talked about it um and it's it's really been public pressure that has pushed the NHL to even make a statement because as of last week, Gary Bettman hadn't even talked about it when the story broke a month ago. Yeah, I, um, this hasn't been talked about too much. I don't know how much longer Gary Bettman's going to be the commissioner. I think he's going to be the commissioner until he doesn't want to be the commissioner anymore. Um, because it's the owners that hire him. I right? just think I think that could be that could be closer to being the end than the beginning. Like I think his style is pretty quiet and and uh, very reserved. And in like today's media climate, that's not the that's not the ideal strategy. Because you can take a lot of flack, like exactly like you just said, by not saying anything at all. I think you can so, take like, a lot wonder- of flack, but at the end of the day, it's not the fans that hire Batman. It's the owners, and the owners don't give a shit what the fans say. The owners, or Batman is there to protect the owners, and he's good at that for the most part. He is good at taking the heat onto himself so that the owners don't take any heat. Um, yeah, that is true. He does absorb a lot of the blows. He, Oh, he absolutely does. And that's what, as much as the fans hate Batman, that's his job. He is the face to be hated by the fans. And I think he does his job well in that respect. There's obviously other things that he's done a really shitty job at. But in that respect, he is good at what he does. Um. Yeah, and, and he's very calculated in his in what he says to the media, and I think the owners like that. Yeah, I would agree with with some of that. I just, I just, he's actually been doing it for a while. It just at some point you got to step away, and I, I, I would assume when COVID's all over that we're headed closer towards another like lockout. And I yeah. don't know where where he falls in wanting to deal with that again. Like, whether he would get them through this next one and then uh, serve, like, two more years and call it a day, or whether he's still committed long-term. Long like, he's making a ton of money as a commissioner of the league. And at some point, uh, as much as I've been a hard on Gary Bettman, at different times, everybody who makes a ton of money needs to 
uh, call it a day someday and, and enjoy it. So I just, it's weird because you never see the predecessor or like the next person. Like, I don't know who the successor for Gary Batman is, and you've never even heard a peep of it. No, and I don't know that we will. It'll just be suddenly one other official in the league will take over. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. We probably just won't hear anything of it until it happens. Yeah, I don't I don't remember when Batman got into the league or who his uh, predecessor was, but I don't remember how he, that transition happened, so I can't look back to the past to talk about it. He came from but... the NBA. Oh, okay. Okay. That's where he was um deb Deputy commissioner in the NBA and like in line, but the other guy was still pretty young. There wasn't that much of a difference in age, so uh, he ended up getting the recommendation from different people in the NBA to the NHL, and, and that's how we ended up here. Right. Which is weird because we're the only ones with a hard salary cap. Yeah, I'm but. curious how long that's going to last before they open up the luxury cap to the NHL, or if they ever will. I'm starting to feel like they're not going to if they haven't at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't know that they're going to under Batman, at least. I just feel like they did such a position of power for the owners. Well, it is, and I feel like hockey, too... The only thing the owners want that they don't have is the ability to cut players. Yeah. Like, you can't just cut Clarkson for being an injury-riddled player that you paid too much money in the twilight years of his career. Yeah. Like, uh, similar to the NFL or the NBA. So I think that's the... the, um, That's what would have to happen if we were going to somehow loosen the cap restrictions again and i don't think the nhl pa wants anything to do with that i think they would fight tooth and nail against like the ability to just terminate players contracts yeah yeah they definitely would oh yeah um i and the other thing with with hockey and with the nhl i don't think that they could do that because they do um the revenue sharing so and in that, I mean that, like, there are um, so many cities that just don't have the money. So if you had a luxury tax situation, the Leafs, the Rangers, the Penguins, uh, like, the Canadians, basically the original, the original six, teams six teams that are loaded would just be able to stack and then throw money at the luxury tax. Whereas Arizona, they're just going to be looking at it like, okay, we're just never going to win a cup. And I think that that, that discrepancy is larger in hockey from top team to bottom team than it is in any other league um, based on revenue. I would think, obviously I don't have the actual numbers, but, just from a but I would also say the parity is the closest in our league, and yet we still have less fans than all those other leagues. Yeah, like the Montreal Canadiens were the worst team coming into the playoffs, and they're going—they're in the finals. Like they're down two nothing, and 
And uh, Carey Price is meeting a goalie who's just as good uh, for the first time in the playoffs, and it doesn't look great for the Habs, but they still were the second-best team in playoffs and were actually super entertaining to watch with the way they played. Yeah, I'm still not sold that they're not going to win. I don't know. Coming back from a 2-0 deficit is hard, but this playoffs has just thrown me right off, and I have no fucking clue what's going to happen, and they could come back and win four straight, take it in six. <laughs> like They play tonight, correct? I think so, yep. So I honestly think uh, it's a if they don't win tonight, it's a five-game or less series. I think you might be right. Like, I just I, – I don't want to hate on them. Because I'm a Leafs fan, and I know that's the, like, it kind of dilutes my uh, ability to look at things uh, properly. But I just feel like they're getting into that Ottawa Senators territory. Like, obviously, they made it further than the Senators did, um, but it's over. They're out of gas, and some of the players that I, some of the players that I actually expected to perform haven't been performing, and they've squeaked by. So unless, like, Tyler Toffoli or somebody like that's going to wake up, it's over for the Habs. Yeah, and I think that's that's the problem you face when you're the underdog through the entirety of the f- playoffs is that you play so hard every night that come the end of the playoffs, you're just exhausted, and you can't keep up when you have to play your best because now – you're in the finals, you're playing the best of the best, and you're exhausted. So how do you keep up with the best of the best when you probably at this point couldn't even keep up with a team that didn't even make the playoffs? Yeah, I ju- that's just it. Like, I'll give the credit to the Habs 100% for what they've done so far because they had to work hard every night there was never a game that was really given to them their style and their way they played really did add up the only thing is by the time you get to the finals playing the style that they played some of those nicks and bruises they add up on you too yeah they do and that team isn't super young and i just don't know what how they can bounce back from this, to be honest. I want to see it go seven games. Like, even though I'm a Leafs fan, like, I want as much hockey as I can get before it's over. If the Habs win this game in, or win this series in seven games, they will officially be a 500 team on the season. I heard that the other day. (laughs) If you include the playoffs in the regular season and tally wins and losses all together, if they're able to win in seven, that will bring them to 500. That's see, and uh, when we were talking about the salary cap, the salary cap was supposed to help the NHL beat the NBA and take over as like one of the big three sports. And there's that kind of parody in our league, and it's not really creating what it was supposed to create. So maybe these super teams are 
what the fans want. Well, the the super teams like that in the NBA, they draw attention. Whether they whether it's what the fans want to see or not, it's what casual fans see. So people that love hockey or love basketball look at the super teams and go, "Oh, well, fuck off! It's just another super team," and you enjoy the parody. But a casual fan that just goes, "Holy shit! Look what this team's doing!" is going to talk about it, and it creates buzz. It boosts the algorithm on Twitter and makes people talk about it more, right? And I think that's what you get when you get the super teams, whereas in the NHL, you don't see that as much. Yeah, I guess you could you could easily say that. Like, I, I caught myself watching uh, more Brooklyn Nets games this year than maybe some other NBA games in the playoffs up until uh, when they got beat out because if I was just choosing between two games – Brooklyn sounded like the team I'd probably want to watch. So you're right. It's more of a, if you're kind of on the fence or if your team is out or you're maybe more of a casual fan, you're just going to be drawn to those super teams just because you know that it's going to be worth watching for the most part. Yeah. Whereas hockey, I find people cheer for the underdog more. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong and people do that in basketball too. Or like maybe people hate watching basketball to – try and see the super teams lose but but in hockey i feel like there is we grow up with that underdog mentality like there's so many movies of it's the underdog and then they come back and win and i guess that's all sports maybe but i feel like it is very prevalent in hockey and we're seeing that this year with the with the habs and the amount of support they've gotten around the league now that they've made it to the finals. Like there's so many more fans that are just like, all right, yeah. Like, look at what they're doing. This is cool. Yeah. And, uh, I've actually been really surprised at the amount of people. I'm always a big, uh, proponent of like Canadian fans. If you're that hardcore, there's no way you could cheer for another Canadian market. But I'm starting to feel like I'm the minority in this. Like, maybe maybe you can't cheer for another Canadian rival. Like, I couldn't see Flames fans cheering for the Oilers in the finals. Just like I can't really cheer for the Habs as a Leaf fan in the finals. But I think Canucks fans and um, Oilers fans and Flames fans at this point, they can cheer for the Habs because they're not really competing against them every night other than this year. So, like, they don't have that same bitter feelings that I might have if I had to watch the Habs win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where the difference is. And even Jets fans, like, yeah, they were they were eliminated by the Habs, but they don't have that <laughs> built-up um, anger, I guess, anger and frustration when it comes to the Habs, like, Whereas Leafs fans have this history and it's been years in the making. And now to see after how the Leafs were eliminated and now the Habs getting to the finals. I honestly, if the Habs had got to the finals and the Leafs were eliminated by the Jets, I wouldn't be excited about it, but I'd be a little more likely to say, okay, yeah, I hope the Habs win because they're the Canadian team. But just the way everything went down, 
I'm so pissed about it and I can't be excited for the Habs winning. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's hard to say. Cause like I am, there's part of me that's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Bring the cup home to Canada. But then there's another part of me that says, fuck off. Don't. No. And, uh, that's where I'm at. Like I, I have some Habs fans that I'm actually pretty good friends with who are like really good hockey fans. And, they're pretty head on their shoulders about sports. Uh, Dylan, who was on the podcast earlier, being one of those people, we had him on for some locked on and left field questions. And like, I'll, I'll definitely talk to him about it. We've been talking about the Habs and, and like, I still enjoy having the conversations, but at the same time, somewhere in the back of my head, I don't want them to win. And I'll be I'll be the first person to say to a bunch of my parents' friends who were Habs fans based on how good the Habs were when they were growing up that there's no participation trophies in the NHL and I don't really care that you went to the finals if you lose. Yeah, I I don't know I understand that take, but I also don't necessarily agree with that take. I think that. You got to respect the fact that they were able to get there. Um, even if they don't win, like look at Vegas. We're always going to talk about the fact that Vegas made it to the Stanley cup finals in their first year, even though they didn't win. It's still a big accomplishment for this expansion team to come out of nowhere and make it to the Stanley cup finals. Um, yeah, but if a Vegas fan said that to me, I'm going to look them in the face and say, we both know you were disappointed, and we both know you wanted to be Stanley Cup champions. Like, you're not satisfied with going to the finals. Like, that's not what you played for. So, no, and they're like, oh, you know, it's okay, blah, blah. It's better than nothing. Like, it's better than nothing, but in reality is, when you get eliminated from the playoffs, it don't really, other than they got to see a few more games, we both know that you're not, if anything, it hurts more to get eliminated in the finals, not less. Yeah, but as a Leafs fan, for the years that I've watched the Leafs, I can remember how excited it was just or how exciting it was just to make it to the playoffs. And yeah, obviously it hurt like a bitch to get eliminated first round, and it hurts even more every year that it happens, but I can still remember that level of excitement and I can see how like how, yeah, in the moment it sucks, but then looking back, I go, oh shit, we made it to the finals, or we made it to the first round, right? Like, yeah, it's not the ultimate goal, but you got to be happy with silver or whatever your level of second place is. I don't know. Did get thrown in the stands at the World Juniors. Don't tell Elias Anderson that you're happy with Silver. Yeah, well, he was just a prick. <laughs> and he, he's kind of, he's busted because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, there is, there is a point to that. I just, to me, it doesn't really mean as much as people are going to make it out to be. Like, next year, everyone's going to have these high expectations for Montreal 
They're going to be back in the Atlantic Division, which is absolutely loaded. And Ottawa's getting better. Detroit's getting better. And I just, to me, like, Montreal's window just opened. And with how good a lot of the teams in their division are, might not be open for that long. So they might want to take advantage of this while they can. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with that. So a uh, total side note that just popped into my head that we hadn't actually discussed at all, but what is LA doing? Uh, you just mentioned uh, Detroit, and I feel like LA is kind of in it, like similar in the sense that like they're sort of a team going downhill, but they're still adding pieces. I was thinking about uh, like Detroit adding Verona last year, and LA just picked up. Arvidsson I don't know what they're doing in LA I thought they were trying to blow it up I like it I think it's an active rebuild and I like a I know that franchise mode on on NHL is not anywhere close to being a GM in the NHL but like a Victor Arvidsson with four or three or four more years on his deal locked in he's a consistent player you're gonna have him in there for a while. Like, I don't think, like, the Detroit model isn't really working in my eyes. Like, they're dead last, and they're still getting, you know, sixth or fourth or third. They're not getting that franchise-changing player. So, I don't necessarily, like, I think LA might be trying to be an all right team while still acquiring assets. So they're not going to poison young players that do make their lineup quickly. Like Byfield will be in their lineup next year. It's crazy to think he was in the A this year. Yeah. So like you don't want him to go up there and just be on this like sour grapes team who has, who has nothing to offer. And I also think it's a little bit of respect for some of the guys they do have. Um, Based on what Montreal has done this year, there's some pieces in LA that I would still want. That I still think if they just decided to have a year, like Anze Kopitar, Drew Downey, those guys could, that could be a good team if just the right things fall into place. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. And I mean, like, it's funny too because you hear, uh, they never really blew it up all the way. No, they really didn't. They didn't at all. And that's why I was kind of confused at what they were doing. Because I thought, like, there were so many talks about them trading Ayafalo at uh, at the deadline. And now it looks like they're re-signing him. And now they're adding Arvidsson. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them add a few more pieces. Um, and try and make a run next year. Which is weird. Because they were one of those teams that I was just ready to let rebuild and not worry about. And now some of those players are going to be on my mind when we're picking fantasy teams next year. I I think it's an interesting situation they're in because their division is not going to be very good. So if you get in, like we've seen with the Habs and we saw with Ottawa years ago, if you get in, you have a chance. And they're not in the strongest division. They have some older core pieces. Maybe those guys have a couple good years left. 
Yeah, and maybe that's what the their GM is looking at too, I guess. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, they got a good chance of get of finishing just, the season. Uh, in a this good whole spot. tanking thing worked out all right for the Leafs when they got Matthews. I shouldn't say all right. Worked out perfectly. Couldn't have went any better. But I don't think that it actually works. I think they just got lucky. I don't know. I think long term it's going to work out for Buffalo. Um, well, like that's pretending like out. Jack Eichel and Jonathan and and Darlene weren't unreal players. Like they were, and it it's it's not working out because so many players on that team have just been beaten down by being in a cancerous organization. Like, I think that's why if you're LA, you just don't completely let your team be bad. Cause you don't want guys on your team just learning to be okay with being bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You want to bring in Byfield and have that winning attitude from the top down where the GM's like, no, we're, we still have a chance to win. I'm still going to pick up these I extra don't players. Think- I don't think you can tank with Anse Kopitar and Drew Doughty, and I don't think you can get enough value out of them. So, might as well just see what you got. Yeah, go for broke. And like it's in, do it. It's impossible to tank with Anse Kopitar. That guy is the sneaky best player in the NHL. Like every other year, you can make a case that he's the best player. Like he's. He's really streaky. Like one year to the next, he's lights out. And it seems to be almost like on an every other year pace. If you scroll through his like hockey DB, one year he'll have like 70 points, but then the next year he'll have like almost a point per game. And then one year he'll have like 60, but then he'll be back up at point per game. And he's never really been the fastest player. So a guy like that might be able to keep doing what he's doing for a while. Yeah, and Drew Doughty is the kind of guy that I don't think would be willing to tank either. I think he just has this attitude to him of, like, if if you were to go and ask him to tank, he would say, fuck you. Yeah, trade me. Yeah, yeah. I forget who the GM is in L.A. And he actually was a really good NHL player. His name's on the tip of my tongue, and I just can't come up with it. Rob Blake? Yeah. Yeah. So, I listened to him talk, and he... Not too long ago about like how because LA has a couple different female scouts and they do things a little bit differently. And they, they said they have a different style of evaluating players than other teams in the league. So to me, it just seems like Rob Blake is trying to do things a little bit differently than the rest of the NHL. And I'm kind of intrigued to see what that means. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of cool because it is exciting to see people try and change the mold because the NHL we've seen gets stuck in the, oh, this is how they won last year. Let's do that. Let's try and re- like replicate that. Um, 
so it, it's it is actually it's exciting to see GMs trying something different, and that's why I was so excited about Dubas sticking to his guns when he did to try the offense first team. It obviously didn't work, so you have to move on. But um, but I was excited to see some young guy come in and try something different because otherwise hockey can get stale because every team is trying to look like the winning team of last year. And then that team doesn't win and everybody tries to be the other team. Yeah. Like next year, everybody's top 4D is going to be 6-2 and above if you think you're a playoff contender. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which actually lends itself to your uh, trade Morgan Riley theory pretty good. Yeah, I still just don't know who we would get for Riley anymore. I just, I have no idea. Somebody brought up to me that what if you gave him to Seattle and then you pick through a couple of Seattle's defensemen that you think you might want? That might not like be a they bad get, idea. They get a star player. They're going to have a surplus of, of all right players. You trade them Morgan Riley, who effectively could be a star. And then you could pick up maybe two pieces of, like, everyday NHL-type defensemen, which is more what the Leafs need. Because I honestly think Sandine brings everything Morgan Riley does offensively plus some. So I'd like to see him get all the opportunity there that he could get. Yeah, and, and then bring maybe... in a few younger, faster, stay-at-home guys. Because we've got a few decent stay-at-home guys, but, like, they're not the fastest guys in the world. And you need a little more speed on our on our defense, I think. Sell high on Justin Hall and then put someone else with Jake Muzzin so everybody realizes how good Jake Muzzin is. And then we can sell high on that guy, too. I'd be down <laughs> with that. <laughs> I would. I would be totally okay with losing Hall. Like, if we were to, able to move him for a good price, get rid of him, as long as we've got someone to fill that hole. Paul for and do it right now. Yeah, that's what I, I want him so bad. Like it, I, would, I would give up a lot of pieces in the Leaf system to have Ristolainen for the next three years because those are the biggest three years in the Leafs window. So it wouldn't even matter to me that we would only have him for three years because – to me, that's when the window is the most open. Yep. All right, we've talked a lot about hockey. Why don't we move into talking a little bit more about basketball? Um, let's talk about the Canadian team. So, actually, this Canadian team super exciting. I, I don't know how much you've been able to – uh, catch, but I've seen some highlights, and uh, I caught the back end of the first stream against Greece, which was actually a, a pretty tight game. Um, Canada got real lucky that Giannis was still in the NBA playoffs. That's huge, but the big thing for Canada basketball is the amount of NBA talent they have been able to have show up to this tournament uh, given COVID and uh, given the fact that they really couldn't get their high-end players 
to come for many years previously. Yeah, and that's actually, like it's it. it's exciting that they're getting more of the NBA talent to come, uh, or like they're really trying to build a system that's enticing to the NBA talent so that they're willing to come now. Um, whereas before it was just sort of a waste of time for the NBA talent because Canada didn't have a good basketball program, but it's growing. The other thing that really kind of makes me excited about that is I can't remember who it is, but somebody got the rights to televise the under 20 basketball tournament in Canada this year. And that's not something Canada usually televises. If Canada goes to the Olympics with this Team Canada basketball team, which I I really think they will because they've actually got NBA players coming off the bench at this point, which is mind-blowing Yeah, for Team Canada basketball. But you get these guys going to the Olympics, and then you get fans like me that you're going to get sucked into it. And the next thing you know, they're watching the the U19, or I think it's U19 for some reason. That might tournament. be, yeah. yeah. And – um, you're going to get this going on. Canadians love international sports. We get, we get hated on for not being as prideful as the U S sometimes, but I just don't think we're, uh, we're not the same kind of prideful about our country, but I don't think it means we're less proud. And I want to see, young players in basketball get the same support young players in hockey get. And I think this is a huge step for that. Also, if you see the fans really supporting you, the young players who are observing that are going to be more willing to go to the Olympics in the future. Oh, they absolutely will. I, I don't think they felt like they had the support of the Canadian fans. I don't feel like they had felt like they had a chance. Well, now Canada has a lot of NBA talent. And you know what? Once the Canadian players get the taste of what it's like to be fully supported by the Canadian fans, I think this is going to be an eye-opening experience. Yeah, well, that's Nick Nurse has come out and said that he thinks that right now is the golden age of uh, Canadian basketball, which that's pretty cool to be like, if it is that we're living through it and we're seeing it grow before our eyes right now. And, uh, we've already kind of seen the explosion of Canadian women's basketball. Yeah. So I think it's just all, it's all about to turn a corner here. The other thing is Canada is so diverse compared to so many other countries. And I think that is what will allow us to be pretty good at all the sports if we put our assets in the right place. Like, there's some sports that still have a long way to go. Men's soccer, long way to go. But 10 years ago, you could have said the same thing about men's basketball. Yeah. 
Yeah, and basketball has very quickly grown in Canada. Like, I feel like, obviously, yeah, the Raptors winning, that was a huge boom. But even before that, we're seeing more and more Canadians draft high and more and more Canadians going to American colleges for uh, for basketball. And just in general, the sport has grown so much in this country, and it's really cool. Um, and you're right, there are other sports that can get a push or and that will grow once basketball has its turn as a big sport for Canadians. Yeah, I think we just need to to show our athletes the same level of support that we show for some other sports. And we're well on our way to getting there. I also think having the high-level talent in some of these sports is what was going to get us over the edge. We're getting that in basketball. We're finally, finally starting to see in soccer with, like, Alfonso Davies. Yep. These stars are what's going to get us over this hump that we've been stuck at for my entire life as a Canadian sportsman. And it's an exciting time. So I guess keeping in the vein of the Olympics, we mentioned her last week. Why don't we talk about Summer McIntosh? Um, the, the next big thing in Canadian swimming. I love that she's the next big thing, and uh, and the current big thing still dominated. Yeah, like <laughs> this is huge for Canadian women's swimming, Canadian swimming in general. Tying right into what we just said, these are stars, and that will propel us to get into the next level. And Summer McIntosh at, what, 14? 14 years old, yeah. That is a star. And we haven't heard as much about her as we did Penny Alexiak, obviously, because the Olympics hasn't happened yet. But we knew Penny Alexiak had the pedigree. Her brother plays in the NHL. Sounds like she comes from a pretty athletically gifted family. We haven't heard too much about Summer McIntosh yet, but this looks like quite the trend for Canadian swimming. And I I touched on it a little bit last week, but I think it's time for some smaller sports that, that Canada wants to be more successful in to evaluate what swimming's been doing uh, for the Canadian women because most recently they've started developing some really good talent and they got to be doing something correctly. And I think Canada should do themselves a service and, and see what's going on there so that we can continue to move forward as an athletic superpower. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see that too, in a lot of the other smaller sports, like you look at diving, um, and Canada has Jennifer Abel, who's been really making a big name. You look at things like figure skating, and, I mean, we had, oh, fuck, I lost her name. The the 
couple, or there were there weren't a couple, but they looked like a couple. Um, um, oh, you know who I'm talking about. Heck? Yeah, Tessa and Scott. Um, yeah, yeah. We had those two in figure skating, and I think that like we're seeing slowly a lot of these other sports start to bloom. Like I, it, I won't be surprised if we get a big Canadian in gymnastics coming up soon. Like America has Simone Biles, but who's the next big thing coming from Canada? And, and I think it is, like you said, people can look at the systems that have brought Scott and Tessa up through, through figure skating and brought Jennifer Abel up through diving. Um, and now bringing Penny, Penny Alexiak and bringing, um, summer Macintosh up through swimming and like all of the other sports can look and see, Oh, well, like what did they do to recruit them? How did they go through develop the, developing them from a young age? Um, and we're going to start to see that more and more in all these other sports. Yeah. And I think it's, it's time to, to start doing that. We have, We've done things properly before and seen these little spurts of people coming up through, but we're starting to see a pattern. So that means we're doing something properly and we're doing ourselves a disservice by not figuring it out. And Canada has figured out how to develop people in many other sports. We do really well in a lot of winter sports. We obviously do great in hockey. We have a lot of excellence programs involved in that. And at the same time, not only do we have excellence programs, but we give those guys a lot of audience, which gives them money and allows them to continue to pursue what they're doing. So I think we need to find more ways to give an audience to some of these less lesser-known sports or lesser-known sports for Canadian dominance because the more money you make available to these people, the more uh, screen time they get, the longer they can stay committed to the sport, the more they can be committed to the sport. And that is what makes athletes successful. We've seen a lot of guys come up through the hockey programs who have been doing those programs since they were, you know, 13, 14 years old. And, and a lot of those guys you've actually heard about over and over U16 or what, whatever tournament you happen to watch. And, as much as it's fun being excited by the Olympics because you're going to hear a bunch of names you never heard of before. I want to know these people coming into the Olympics better than I do right now. And I think that is something that Canadian sports needs to figure out. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think that like there's, there's not enough attention brought to the development programs of Olympic sports. And I think that that's largely because the development programs for Olympic sports are high school. (laughs) It's high school. Then you go to college, you go to regionals, you get the right attention, you get picked up by the national team. And then what? Like, yes, there are tournaments. There are, like, qualifying, Olympic qualifying tournaments and stuff. 
but even those don't get a lot of coverage. They need to get more coverage. And like you said, money is a big thing for these athletes. If you're not winning gold, you're going to the Olympics and taking a loss. Yeah, if you're not getting a Canadian Tire sponsorship deal following the Olympics, uh, because you performed well or because the media decided they liked you, maybe you don't survive till the next Olympics. Yeah. And that's what people don't necessarily understand. They look at the NHL and the NBA and the NFL, and they think that all these people competing in the Olympics are, are being paid highly and, and that's not necessarily true especially for really niche sports like if you're not doing something that makes you valuable to the media then there's not that much money in it for you and nope. part of that is on the Canadian development process if I knew about some of these people then maybe they're more likely to be able to get a commercial be able to make some money, be able to continue to pursue what they're doing. But the re- reality is, I didn't know who Penny Alexiak was until she was standing on the podium wearing a medal. Yeah, and that's what I feel like we are going in the right, right direction because we already know who Summer McIntosh is, and she just finished her Olympic qualifiers. She qualified for the Olympics, obviously, that's why we're talking about her, but um but the fact that that was televised that was um streamed online it did get an audience people are talking about it there were like TSN was talking about it um all of these large media corporations are talking about Summer McIntosh they've brought at least they were a couple of weeks ago when she finished her uh, Olympics qualifiers and yeah, like they were talking about the fact that she beat Penny Alexiak's record, but it's still bringing eyes to the sport, and that's good. Yeah, and I think, uh, like, I have to wonder if Penny hadn't done as well last year if we don't don't have that conversation. But I think that's why you need to keep building. You have these two successful swimmers right now in women's swimming for Canada and you need to continue to build on that you don't want these two to fade away 10 years from now and it take another 15 years in order to have a name in Canadian swimming you need to look what you did with these guys and try to improve on that process and and not miss out on the momentum that you're currently building obviously you can't make a generational athlete appear but you don't want to just fade away in some of these sports where you've started to make a name for yourself. No. And I think that's the thing too, is like, even if you don't have these elite athletes coming up through your system, as long as you have athletes that are good, that you can make people care about. That's the biggest thing is that you have to be able to make Canadians care about these athletes, whether they win or lose. If they're going to the um, Olympics, I want to know their name. If they're going to the World Championships, I want to know their name. And it needs to get out there so that these athletes can get sponsorships. That's the biggest thing. Like, even, um, what was it? I I follow a few uh, female NCAA 
um, basketball players on TikTok, and we just had that um, big ruling with the NCAA that their athletes are able to get money now. And that's huge because these athletes on TikTok were like, holy shit, like, keep an eye out yeah, because so as soon as this is finishing, I'm going to release my own line of merch that people can buy and stuff like that. Like, there there needs to be opportunities for these athletes to grow themselves as a brand. And TV is, it's the it's still the biggest medium to grow people like that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I'm super pumped about this NCAA thing. Uh, just because it doesn't matter what sport you're in, can be all over in 30 seconds. So the fact that a guy can be one of the best players in college or a girl can be one of the best players in college for four years quite possibly and take a career-ending injury and end up bagging groceries because everything they did, they weren't allowed to capitalize on. That was just something that made me sick. And it's a huge step. I don't yeah. think it's great. It's not It's not great for Canadian college sports because now we have even less leverage. But I don't think we... I don't think we want to keep athletes in Canada if they have the opportunity to go to the U.S. Because I want to see the best Canadian athletes possible. And I just don't necessarily know that we have the best opportunity to grow them within our own college system. No, the American college system has so much more money that they can funnel into athletics and development of athletics that it's just, it's unreal. The difference between American colleges and Canadian, how much money there is. Well, like, I remember uh, being in Florida when I was a kid, and I was like, Mom, like, what's up with that big stadium? She's like, oh, like, it's probably for a college. Well, like, a week later, uh, we found out it was a high school stadium. And, like, the reality of that as a Canadian sports fan is I'm sitting there, and I'm counting out the roster, and I'm like, three of those kids, max, are going to college. And that stadium was nuts. Yeah. Like, my hockey in Canada is huge. And, like, I've been to my fair share of Pac Arenas to see my buddies play some of their bigger games in their career, even though they didn't make it anywhere. But nothing like that. Well, no, and the difference, too, between um, Canada and the States is that you can play for a Canadian high school hockey team and you're not going to get scouts in the arena. Whereas if you play for an American high school football team, there's NFL scouts coming to those championship games. It's just, it's such a different, um, like system. It's an entirely different system for how they scout and how they build talent, um, in the States. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy, and 
you would never draft a hockey player out of a Canadian high school, but you would draft one out of a U.S. high school. No, and even most uh, OHL players go to Canadian colleges to die. Like, that's where their careers end, or they maybe after college go over to Europe. But if you've made it to college, then you're already past your draftable opportunity. Because if, you, if you've made it to college, you're out of the OHL, you're out of the CHL, and that you're done. Yeah, you're 22 years old, and, and nobody wanted you. Yeah. Now, like, a lot of those guys know that that's where they're going to end up long before that point, but, but yeah, you do have a point. And the Canadian World Junior Team quite often beats the Canadian College Men's All-Star Team every year in hockey. Yeah, because if, you, if you're on the junior team, you still have a chance. <laughs> yeah, and you have a high chance of actually making it where a lot of those guys are are on their way to the end of their career, closer to the end than the beginning. Yeah, and that's why I really hope that the NHL stays in the Olympics. I think they will just because they want – like I, they're going to be at the next one, that's for sure. Yeah, but now uh, Batman's talking about possibly not sending them to the next one. Like they're co- they're going next winter, but like the one after that, they might like the NHL might pull out entirely. I just I Batman can say that all he wants, but actually for the NHL players, we're back to hockey again. But for <laughs> the NHL players. That was the most vocal I've ever seen the NHL players about anything. From the same guys that say pucks in deep and, you know, always say the other team is a good team, no matter whether they're the worst team in the league or not. Yeah. There was a lot of vocal hockey players about the fact that they dream their whole life of going to the Olympics just as much as they dream about playing in the NHL and that, making them choose was not the situation they wanted to be in. Yeah. Well, that's look at Ovechkin threatened to leave the NHL. And four years from now, it wouldn't surprise me if he did, because how much NHL time is he going to have left anyways? Yeah. And is that how you want the end of OV to be? Because that's not how I want the end of OV to be. Nope. All right, let's get into one last topic, and then we can wrap this up for today. Um, and that is the Toronto Blue Jays just made a trade. I don't really know if it's a good trade or not. It sounds like the Jays won the trade. Um, but I don't really know anything about the players that we acquired. Do you? So, I do know a little bit. Okay. So... We ended up with, do you have the names right there? Yeah, I got, so the trade was with the Miami Marlins. Uh, We acquired Adam Simber, or Kimber, I don't know. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And Corey Dickerson, and some cash considerations for Joe Panic and minor league pitcher Andrew McInvale. McInvale? Yeah, sure, we'll go with that. So, I didn't know much about the minor league pitcher for the Blue Jays, so I'm not even going to try to go there. 
Yeah. What I know about Richard Panic is he's a usable major league player that the Blue Jays had for a while. It was a late pick. He ended up being an NHL, uh, an MLB player, which is a bonus. So it's huge that he was a usable player. And then you move him in an ass in a deal and you get an asset. And actually, this is an interesting deal based on the breakdown I heard. I was watching some videos about it earlier. And we're getting a reliever who is is an interesting situation. He's really, really good uh, in specific situations. He's got a lower and run average. We obviously need as many relievers as we can get. He's got uh, an interesting kind of like sinker uh, sidearm thing going on. That gives people a different thing to look at, something the Blue Jays didn't have. So that's a whole other element. And then the other player we got is a former All-Star who's injured and who um, the Marlins are just going to be looking to move on from because they're going to want to allow some of their younger players to play this year because they aren't going to be on a trajectory to be a playoff team. So you got to see what you have. So they're just trying to open up roster spots for younger players. So that guy just kind of like gets some cash off the books and offers the rap or the Raptors, the Blue Jays, a little bit of a lottery ticket. So uh, if this guy doesn't play, um, it's not a huge deal. You didn't you didn't really know what you were getting. But the other thing is, if he comes back and he performs. He's a contact hitter, which is something the Blue Jays need a little bit more of. They have a lot of power hitters. They need some more contact hitters. I uh, give some depth to the outfield, which could actually allow them to make another move if he did come back and was healthy. They have a lot of depth in the outfield and a lot of guys coming up. So uh, maybe that would allow them to move uh, Grichik for another piece, which would be uh, super valuable. And I, I think a lot of other teams would be interested in that. So, basically what happened is they, they got a reliever and a lottery ticket for a guy who was a lottery ticket in the first place. Well, anybody in the draft is a lottery ticket. Um, so, I like to think that they, they did end up with kind of an interesting deal here where you're, you're getting a return whether or not you get that player back off the IR and healthy enough to be in your lineup you're still getting the reliever, but you have this other lottery ticket that if uh, the team is performing very well, might allow you to move around some more assets. And I think that's something the Blue Jays are looking at doing by the sound of things. They're, they're looking at um, taking advantage of all the assets they have amassed and trying to bring in some more younger pieces, pitchers and relievers that are, are going to continue on with this current core. Couldn't have said it better myself. I think that was a, a pretty solid analysis of the trade, actually. Um, yeah, and I think it, it's cool that, or I'm interested to see what happens now, because Joe Panic was the guy that they had filling in on third base when Biggio was out. So now they don't have that, bit of uh 
like insurance, I guess. Maybe there's a chance they move Vladdy over there. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like I'm still grasping at straws with that one, but you never know. Well, you know what? If they don't start doing a better job of throwing to first, they might as well put him on third because he's doing everything he can to make it work there. And, and they're really not doing him any favors. Like, honestly, um, my little brother played a lot of baseball growing up. And everybody practices throwing to first because that's where the ball goes the most often. Yeah. So the fact that they're making Vladdy work as hard as they're making him work to get out on first makes me think that he probably can't play third. Like, I don't know what the Blue Jays are doing defensively when they're throwing the ball to first right now, but Vladdy shouldn't have to be athletic to play first, which to me is an argument that maybe he could play third. Yeah, I think he absolutely could. Um, cool. I guess uh, let's get into our players of the week then. We I didn't actually ask you who yours was. Normally we talk about them before the podcast, so hopefully we didn't pick the same person. But well, hopefully you didn't steal mine. But <laughs> I'll I'll let you go first, and then we'll see. So uh, we actually talked about my guy a little bit already. I I'm gonna take Andrew Wiggins. He's had two double digit offensive games he's not necessarily a star on golden state uh because of who they have but he's taken the star role for team canada basketball and looks super comfortable doing it and he's a huge part of getting more young canadians to buy into going to the olympics you see this guy first overall pick go to the Olympics? Well, what makes you think you're better than that guy? Why wouldn't you go? And I really do like that. He's performing the way you would expect him to perform. He's playing like a star, even though he doesn't get to be a star night in and night out in the NBA. And he's starting a new culture, I hope, for Team Canada basketball. So shout out to Andrew Wiggins, and I hope we see Team Canada in the Olympics. Yep, they're two wins away, so hopefully they can do it, and he'll be a big part of it. Um, so that was actually one other thing that I, I totally forgot to talk about, and you just reminded me by saying Andrew Wiggins, was have you heard about this rumored potential trade between the Raptors and Golden State? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, do we want to go? want to go into it? Oh, uh, we can do it. Let's do it quickly, just because I I kind of want to mention it because I don't think it's going right, to happen. So I don't think it's realistic. Um, like I don't think that Golden State would agree to it. But if they did, that'd be sweet. <laughs> I I think it's a crazy deal for them to make, but I also understand why they might want to do it. Pascal Siakam shown he's not a number one, but he was a pretty good number two to Kawhi, so he's going to be a hell of a number three to Clay and Steph. Yep. And the window for them is pretty small. Like when you see, uh, 
What's the what's the what's the other guy in the trade? What's his name? One second overall. Uh, Wiseman. James Wiseman. Yep. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson may not even be NBA players when you see the best of James Wiseman. A hundred percent. So that that is the only way that I see that being a thing is that they just want to get a couple more years out of Clay and Steph and they're willing to pay to do it. And they know that you can't just get a guy like Siakam for nothing. So maybe they're willing to do it. The other thing is Nick Nurse might have a little more uh, voice in it once he's spent hopefully the whole Olympics coaching Wiggins, maybe he's more. Maybe they're. Maybe he's more willing to talk to Bobby Webster and and hopefully Masai and have a conversation about that. Like if you can get a guy uh, like that, former first overall, the Raptors have done a really good job of helping guys expand their game. Plus, you get James Wiseman, which is a little bit of what I was hearing. Or or maybe. Uh, Instead of Wiggins, you get the uh, Golden State's first rounder this year. So the um, uh, Raptors overall. end up with, with two high picks, plus Wiseman, who was second overall last year. I, I don't see it as a lose for the Raptors, and I see why you might want to do it if you're the Warriors, but... Um, Wow, that could be huge for the Raptors if it did go through. Oh, yeah. I would jump on that if I was the Raptors immediately. If, if it was offered, take it. As much as I like Siakam, I would 100% want Wiggins on our team just because, like, there's that Canadian connection. It's a great story. And he's still a good player. Like, he's not – he didn't turn out to be quite as good as he was touted to be when he was drafted, but he's still young. He's still got – time to turn that around um so the the trade deal that i saw was wiggins and wiseman and the seventh overall and 14th overall for this year for siakam and our fourth overall and that's where i'm like that seems really one-sided to me (laughs) but i mean if they value having a fourth overall like one of those guys, if Golden State sees something in one of those guys, then maybe there's a chance they would go for it. Yeah, I, I, that's where I'm at with it. I think, I think it depends how much pressure is on Golden State. If Clay comes back and he's healthy, and and the ownership wants to take another run at it, then. Or yeah, it'll depend on what they figure out between now and draft day. Yeah. About Clay Thompson's future and they still have some really good pieces. Like I was reading an article the other day that Draymond Green might end up being like one of the all time best defensive players ever to play in the NBA. It's like Golden State is not that far away from being a championship contender again for another two or three years. 
It's just is Pascal Siakam the piece that they want to commit to? If they're willing to pay that price, I hope so. <laughs> well, here, here's what uh, I'm gonna steal two things off a podcast we mentioned quite a, we've mentioned quite a bit. First off, absolutely zero clutch gene for Siakam. He just doesn't have it. He doesn't even know what it is. He's seen Kyle Lowry use it a couple times, but he's still not even sure that it's a real thing. Yep. So that's where I'm at with with Siakam. But at the same time, I know that Toronto sports fans can just get attached to guys for unrealistic reasons. And I think Pascal Siakam, based on where they drafted him and what he's become and being part of that championship team and what he did contribute to that. You could get the biggest haul you could ever imagine. I think there's still going to be people who are going to complain about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. There is, but I don't know. I think the right move for the team isn't always the right move for the fans and you got to do what's best for the team. I honestly want to see Siakam go because I want to see if there's a chance that this can be OG Ananobi's team. Yeah. And I, because I think it's like be. every once in a while I see a flash of him do something where I'm like, the only person that reminds me of is Kawhi. Yeah. And he's got the defensive game to be a Kawhi. But yeah. You also have to have the opportunity to get those minutes. And the other bonus for Pascal Siakam, if he does end up being a Golden State Warrior, is he's never having to take a shot at the buzzer ever again because that won't be his job. Yeah. So it could work out really well for both teams, honestly. All right, cool. So let's get back to uh, Players of the Week then. This has been a very uh, tangent-filled episode. <laughs> it's been all over the place. Yeah, yeah it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. And it's going to be even more so because we just jumped back to the Raptors and now we're going right back to the Blue Jays for my three Players of the Week. And that is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, and Teoscar Hernandez for all making it as starters on this year's all-star team. Um, I know I put in my votes. I don't know if you guys did, but or if you did. Um, but yeah, it's cool to finally have Blue Jays on an all-star team that deserve to be there. Um, like I, We had that with uh, Batista a little bit, and Donaldson made the all-star team, but I don't remember a time in my life where we had three make the all-star team but have six six or seven players that were in all-star voting and potentially on the team um that were that were up there in the votes so all i'm gonna say about it uh real quick is that the Blue Jays did this thing where there was a lot of former All-Stars 
Former All-Stars are cool and all, but young All-Stars who are already on your team, that is what builds you a championship. Yep. So, fingers crossed if you're a Jays fan. All right. Thanks for listening to the Fanalists episode 19, I think. Um, that, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. So next week will be episode 20. We'll have to find, do something big for it. Um, oh, that'll be, yeah, that'll be cool. So make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at TFanalysts and on Instagram at the Fanalyst Podcast. Uh, let us know what you think of the episode. Let us you know know if you have any ideas for future episodes. We always are interested in interacting with our listeners and anybody that uh, wants to tell us that they don't like our takes or that they do like our takes. Always great. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Yeah, see you guys next week.